If you have your Bible with you, uh, go ahead and grab it and turn with me this morning to John uh, chapter 14. That's where we're going to be spending our time today. We'll be in John 14 and we're going to be looking at this uh, whole chapter today. So it's a big it's a big chunk of scripture. Last week we did just three verses, but today we're going to be looking at this uh, this whole chapter. And my prayer is, and, and really has been, I mean, all week, uh, is that we would just be open to hear from God today. Uh, that, that we would be willing to forget. <laughs> I'll just do me. That we'd be willing to forget about our grocery shopping that we have to do. That we'd be willing to just forget about where we're going to eat after this. That we'd be able to... Uh, be able to forget about whether or, or stop asking whether our house is clean enough tonight for community group or what kind of excuse we're going to come up with to not go or whatever. Uh, I want us to just be completely free of the distractions that so easily entangle us, that so easily entangle me, captivate me, uh, so that we can give God our full attention this morning. And I realize that what I'm asking is, is basically for a miracle. Um, we're asking for something supernatural to take place here in the next few minutes, that the distractions of this world would be meaninglessness to us, uh, that we'd be willing to forget about that, that we wouldn't worry about, your kids are safe in the nursery, okay? Even if you hear them cry, that's all right. Uh, we're a small enough building that you might hear that. If, if one of them screams, it's okay, all right? If they need you, they know where to come find you, so you don't have to worry about them. If your child sneezes in church or you feel like you have to cough, it's okay. Just know that, that we can just be here free this morning to hear from God. So would you stand with me now? Would you, would you stand as we turn our attention, as we set our hearts to hear from God this morning? Uh, this is not a little prayer request that we've had this week. It's not. This is, a, this is the heart of worship. It's setting our hearts, it's setting our souls and our minds to be in His presence, to know and treasure and show the supreme Worth of God who speaks to us today. So this is John chapter 14. I'm just going to read the first 14 verses to get us started. And then we'll talk a little bit. John 14, starting in verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, You would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father." 
Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, again, I, I pray now that you would that you would move away all the other things that we might be tempted to dwell on right now, that you might just clear our minds, clear our hearts, draw us in, that we might see you, that we might hear you this morning. Lord, I pray that you would, I pray that you would use me in a way that only you can, that you would give my stammering tongue and my slow mind the ability to communicate the truth that you have for your people this morning. Please don't let me be the obstacle that gets in anyone's way. And I pray that you would do that this morning, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to know you. That we might be drawn closer and closer. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so uh, one afternoon this past fall, uh, I was able to work it out to take a couple hours in the afternoon to meet uh, my two sons and their grandmother and one of their cousins at the fair. Uh, so we, we uh, and, and some of you know this, it comes here every fall. We jumped on some of the rides. We, uh, my boys went through all the little fun house things and we definitely ate some very questionable uh, fried foods, right? Uh, it was great. Everything, everything was fun. It was going fine. Nobody was sick. None of the rides had broken down, which is always my fear. Uh, they are not exactly well constructed. Anyway, don't want to scare you with that. Used to work in electrical industry, and we had a guy who worked for the fair uh, wiring up those rides. So just ride at your own risk, man. Um, he was not responsible enough to be in that position. Anyway, everything was going fine until, until, uh, I don't know what the actual name of the ride is. We called it the Gravitron. Anybody know the Gravitron? You know this ride? You see, both of my sons are pretty fearless when it comes to just doing stuff, like whatever it may be. Um, and, and I love that about them. I, I really do. It's, uh, we throw them on a, like a tube behind the boat, tell them to hang on and drive across the lake, and they, for the most part, pretty much just do that. They just kind of go with it. Um, they just kind of roll with whatever we've got. It's a fun quality that the two of them share. But that same adventurous quality, um, the fearless and sort of reckless spirit in them that is such fun most of the time, uh, feels like more of a curse <laughs> every year when the fair comes around. All right, And this year, I got sucked into the vortex of suffering when Logan, our five-year-old, was tall enough for the first time to ride the Gravitron. If you've ever been tricked into walking into that torture device, you know exactly what I'm talking about because it's the absolute worst, okay? It's one of those where uh, when, you are, when you sit down or when you, I guess you stand up in this thing and it's just about to start, the little 12-year-old who runs the thing looks over at you and just kind of smirks like he knows he's got you right where he wants you, right? And once he hits that button, everything in your world is about to go wrong. You're going to be stuck to the wall. 
random teenagers that you don't know are going to be trying to make their way all the way around the thing over the top of your head as it's going. Your child, who is really not tall enough for this thing at all, is going to be sucked up to the ceiling and he can't move his little body and you're genuinely concerned about whether or not this is the end for all of you. Meanwhile, the kid running the thing has got an iPod on or whatever. He can't even tell what's happening. You just know this is how it all how it all ends. Um, and every one of them, every single other person on the ride is looking at you like you're just a moron, you know. <laughs> Can't believe you fell for this again. That's the Gravitron. As you're on it, your world begins to spin. You know this feeling? All of a sudden, you feel like it's going to end badly. And so all you can think, at least at this day and age, is you don't want to be that dad who ends up losing his fried Oreos and Fisk fries on the sidewalk on the outside of this thing and ends up being on a YouTube video for everybody to make fun of, right? This is all I could imagine. This is how it's going to go. After two hours of being off of that thing, my head was still spinning. And I'm still trying to look like I know what I'm doing for my kids so they don't make fun of me. And John 14, the disciples have just heard that their teacher, that Jesus, is about to be betrayed by one of their best friends. They've just heard that Peter, their brother, the one who's, for all intents and purposes, been the leader among the disciples for their entire journey over the last three years with Jesus. They've heard that their spokesman, the one who always seemed to stand up, the one who always had the boldness, they've just heard that he is going to, before the night is over, that he is going to deny knowing Jesus three times before a rooster even crows. They have to be wondering at this point just what sort of storm is brewing, what what sort of storm is about to hit them that could bring this sort of a result. And it's starting to feel like everything is falling apart. It's starting to feel like their world is spinning around out of control. And and at this point, confusion and fear and doubt and uncertainty mixed with disappointment and hurt and resentment. This is their current state. They're in that room. They're in that room with Jesus right now, in that upper room. But that room is spinning. You know, maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you... Maybe you've experienced that feeling. It's like the emotional equivalent of the Gravitron, man. Just where everything in your world seems to be spinning around and around, and you can't do anything to stop it. It's beyond your control, and it feels like it's going to overtake you. And in the chaos of life, in the whirling and swirling tornado that is your normal It feels like you're about to fall apart. To those disciples and to you today, this is what Jesus says. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. The word there for troubled means to stir up. It's that idea. In fact, we talked about that this morning in our essentials class. We talked about what it means to stir up. It means to experience acute emotional distress or turbulence. That's what it talks about. When he says that don't be troubled, he's talking about acute emotional distress or turbulence. Turbulence in in life is what causes distress at like a soul level. You see, for the disciples at this point, their, their plane, all right, the plane that they're cruising on with Jesus is starting to shake. It is experiencing turbulence. The plane is shaking. The oxygen masks are now dangling from the ceiling. 
And the only thing that they have at this moment to hold on to is the fact that the plane has yet to crash into a mountain, right? And it's in that moment that Jesus, that their captain, speaks to them from the cockpit. And it's not that he's unaware of the turbulence. It's not that he is indifferent or ignorant of the storm that is brewing in their hearts. It's that he can see through the storm. It's that he can see clear to the other side. And he tells them, look back at verse 2. He says this. He says, In my Father's house are many rooms. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. That's what he tells them. You see, while Jesus is standing in the mess of the present, he has a view to the glory of the future. He's looking out the window, and yes, it's dark, okay? Yes, it is messy, and it is scary, and it is troubling. What's, what's coming is troubling for them. But he sees that glimmer of sunlight on the other side, and he wants them, he wants us, he wants you and me to see it too. He wants his disciples to walk in the light of his eyes, to have his vision for what is coming. A vision for their future. And we need to remember that. Sometimes we forget that Jesus doesn't just know the future. He doesn't just predict the future, but that Jesus is there already in the future. And that's, and that's what he's leading to with his disciples here. He's going to prepare a place for you. And that doesn't mean, listen, I, sometimes when I think we, first off, this is a, unfortunately, this is a funeral passage right here. This is where you normally hear this passage. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. I'm going to prepare one for you. And this is an encouragement time and our encouraging passage in a time of distress. This is where, in fact, this is where I have read that passage multiple times. It's in the context of a funeral or memorial service. But that's, Jesus isn't talking to dead men here. He's not. And so we're tempted sometimes to think that when Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, that he's going to, going to make the bed and fluff the pillows so that when we arrive there, everything will be perfect. But that's not what he means. In fact, when he says he's going to prepare a place for you, it has less to do with going to heaven and more to do with going to the cross. You see, there is no place for you with God apart from the cross. Because apart from the cross, there's only sin and death. That's all we're left with. And so Jesus isn't talking about turning down your sheets and getting ready to tuck you into bed in heaven. He's talking about dying for you. That's how Jesus goes to prepare a place for you. D.A. Carson has said, it is the going itself via the cross and resurrection that prepares the place for Jesus' disciples. That's where Jesus is going. That's what Jesus is doing. He's going to the cross. And I love, I love that Thomas is the one who speaks up here, by the way. You see that in verse 5? Did you notice that? That it's Thomas who speaks up. We get very little dialogue from most of the disciples. But you think Peter's a little quiet at this point? He's just been told that he's going to deny everybody. You think he's a little quiet? He's probably sitting in the corner over at this point, kind of going, trying to work this stuff out in his mouth and so, in his mind. And so Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Now that sounds like something Peter would normally say. That sounds like a Peter statement. That's one of those outbursts that we've come to expect from him. But here it's Thomas. And Thomas is going to open the door for one of the most powerful statements in all of the Bible, in the entirety of Scripture. It's in his inability, his inability to understand 
to comprehend that he's serving to usher in the statement from Jesus that we see there in verse 6. Thomas says, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus says to Thomas, and to all of us who might be asking the same question, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. He's saying, you don't know the way? Thomas, you don't know the way? He's saying, I am the way. I am the way. I'm the direction. I'm standing here right in front of you, and I am the way. The, the way means, he's saying, I am the path. I am the road. I am the route. I am the direction. I am the way. And where I am going is to the Father. Jesus is going to his eternal home with God, and he's inviting us to join him. You see, he's the captain, and he's here in the storm, and the world is spinning out of control, and what he says is, let not your hearts be troubled. So listen, your family is a wreck. I get that. Let not your hearts be troubled. Your health is failing you. Let not your hearts be troubled. You're afraid that the world is hell-bent on destroying itself, and you feel powerless to affect any change at all. Let not your hearts be troubled. Why? Why? Why does Jesus say that? Like, if we aren't careful, if we aren't really careful, it can sound a little cheap in the moment. Let not your hearts be troubled. To take that verse and isolate it from the context of that moment is to absolutely neuter it of its meaning. It's, it's, like, it's like telling someone whose child just died that it's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. They're there. Apart from the context, apart from the storm of, of fear and doubt and trouble that they are in right now, for him to say, let not your hearts be troubled would be absolutely meaningless. But Jesus isn't speaking into a vacuum. He's speaking into reality. He's speaking into a moment when there is trouble. And so Jesus isn't saying that your heart won't ever be troubled. That's not what he's saying at all. I've had Christians say, you know, I just feel so much angst and I feel like that's sinful. Jesus doesn't say you're not going to feel trouble. But he encourages you not to dwell there. Even back in 1321, we see that Jesus was troubled in his spirit. That's what it said there. Jesus was troubled in his spirit. In fact, he was so troubled that they could see it and they recognize it. It's the same word in both places. He isn't saying that you won't be troubled, but that when you are, when you are shaken, you're to remember something, that you know the way. That you know the way. It's what the psalmist said in Psalm 121, which was a, a song that they would have sung. They sang, I lift up my eyes to the hills, right? From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. That's what they knew. You know, we, we, we only need help when we have trouble. It's the only time we need help. I've never raised my hand in a class to ask for help to a problem that I already knew the answer. We need help when we can't do it on our own, when we aren't strong enough. And Jesus says, remember to us who are not strong enough. He says, remember who I am. Look back at verse 11. Philip is still confused. He still wants more information. He thinks that there is still some secret that Jesus is keeping from him. He's just like all of us. That if Jesus would just say one more thing, then we would really get it. Yeah, Philip's the same way. He thinks there's some secret knowledge that Jesus is still holding out, some key to avoid being caught at, the, at sea when the wind and waves of life begin to strike against us. But Jesus doesn't give Philip new information here. 
He reminds him. He actually tells him to look back. Look at that in verse 11. He says, Believe me that I am from the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. He's saying, look back at what you've seen. Look back at what you've seen. You can either take my word for it or you can take a moment to remember, but I've shown you more than enough at this point to prove to you not that there is a key, but that I am the key, that I am the way, that I am the truth, that I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And, and you need to remember this. Like you do. You need to remember this. You need to remember the works that I have done because, this is now verse 12, because whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. You see, you need to believe this because your work isn't done. Because the mission isn't over. And I'm not leaving, and I'm not leaving you here just to hang out. I'm leaving you here to do even greater works. Look back at John, uh, look at back at verse 15. We'll pick it up there. This is what it says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be with you. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keep them, keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will, will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This is what's happening here. I know that's a, that's a big mouthful of, of passage of Scripture right there, but here Jesus promises the coming of the Holy Spirit to be the helper. Again, now we need help when, when there's trouble, right? We need help when there's a problem. We need a helper to walk with us through the pain of loss. We need a helper to help us get through the fear of failure and the tension of living in this world. That is absolutely true. We need God in the seemingly mundane moments of this life too. But it's interesting here that we're promised this helper. If you look at this in context, we're promised this helper, this one to be with us forever, right after Jesus commissioned his disciples to do greater works than these. 
Yes, Jesus gives us his Holy Spirit to help us fight in the seasons of cancer. He gives us his Holy Spirit to help us deal with the death of a loved one. He gives us his Holy Spirit to help us walk through the sufferings of this life. But he primarily gives us his helper because he's given us a mission. He gives us a helper because as we begin to draw closer and closer to Jesus, as we begin to as we begin to know him more and more and more, we begin to ask for the things that Jesus asked for. It's that his prayers become our prayers. You know the reason that so many Christians don't pray today? It's, it's not because prayer is boring. I want to just say that. It's not because we're just so busy doing so many other important things. Those are not... Those are not the reasons. That's not what it is. It's not because you haven't received yet some sort of gifting from God that will equip you to pray. Like every once in a while, you, you find somebody who say, well, I just don't pray well. I mean, if you speak, you can pray. So it's not, that can't be what it is. It's not an inability to pray. It's not a, it's not a, a boredom issue that you... The reason that so many of us don't pray is because so many of us aren't on the mission. It's because we aren't engaged in the greater works that Jesus has promised that we would participate in. And the result of that lack of engagement in the greater works is that we don't know what it's like to have to rest in the Spirit because we've largely insulated ourselves from any spiritual task. We've worked our lives in such a way that there's no risk. We surround ourselves with nothing but other Christians. And so there's nobody to evangelize. There's nobody to share the gospel because all of our best friends can already know all the hymns. They sing all the psalms. They just did it with us. We don't share the gospel because we don't know anybody to share it with. Christians have, The church largely has become like a Yeti cooler for a lot of Christians, right? It's that thing that you put everything in so that even the bears can't smell it, right? Like they can't even come and find you and it'll keep your ice cold for three months. That's what we've become. We've become the ice box of humanity. We've grown numb to the reality of our fallen world. And so as a result, our hearts, our hearts are not troubled for the things of God. And so we don't feel the necessity of a helper, I've questioned several times this week if Jesus could even say these words to us. Let not your hearts be troubled. Because most of the people that I know, and I'm not talking about anybody specifically in here, but the church in general doesn't doesn't engage in the mission. Man, we get so excited about our football team. Listen, there are people this week in New Orleans who are threatening lawsuits because a guy got tackled before the ball got there. They're threatening to sue the NFL. That they care that much about a football game. That much. We go crazy over our politics and we see people arguing every day over which party is right or wrong. Just this week, I was reminded yet again that the passing of some pieces of legislation can cause some people to stand up and applaud while others collapse in tears. 
We even go crazy over our pets. Do you know how much people spend on pet clothing a year in the United States? I'm not talking about pet food so that it'll survive. I'm talking about pet clothing, shoes for your dog. Millions of dollars. And dog sweaters. They're born with sweaters, man. We go crazy over all these things, but we are just a little too comfortable. Professing Christians, professing Christians are just a little too comfortable with the truth that apart from Christ, their neighbor Bill or Lisa or whatever their names are, that apart from Christ, they are going to spend eternity in hell. Jesus says that his disciples are going to do greater works. He's not talking about walking on water. He's not talking about quieting storms. He's not talking about healing the lame. He's not talking about opening blind eyes. He's talking about the multiplication of those redeemed through the witness of the twelve. You and I are evidence of that today. He says to his disciples, you're going to do greater works than a bunch of us. A bunch of us are asleep on the job. You see, we aren't engaged in the mission, and so we wonder at the fact that Jesus tells us we need a helper. Nobody is asking us any questions, so we wonder why Jesus would tell us that the Spirit will teach us all things. He said that in verse 26. We're all so comfortable that we wonder why Jesus promises to give us peace there in verse 27. Allowing our fear to masquerade as patience and humility, we keep waiting for the world to just show up and start singing along with us. And we've forgotten that Jesus' method for gathering people to himself was sending his disciples out. It was sending them to the ends of the earth to go and find them. We've either forgotten or we have neglected that it is you and me who are commissioned to go into this world for Jesus Christ. We go in love, we go in joy, we go in peace, we go in patience, we certainly go in kindness and goodness, we go in self-control to proclaim the good news of Jesus. We go in the blood-bought confidence that Paul declared in Romans 8.32, that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? How would he not give us all things? things if he has given us his son. We go as his chosen people. We go as those who've been redeemed out of the pit of sin. Out of those who've been brought into the fold of God through the atonement of our Savior Jesus Christ. And we go with him as he pilots us now. As he pilots the plane. As you've seen the bumper sticker. Jesus is my co-pilot. That's a terrible sticker. If you have that on your car, I want you to take it off. That's not even really creative, okay? If it's something creative and fun, that's fine. If that's on your car, just scrape it off this afternoon. It's okay. No shame. Jesus doesn't co-pilot anything. He's the king. He's the pilot. He's the one who looks from the cockpit out, sees the mess, and tells us, what? Let not your hearts be troubled. And he sends us out with the message of God's love for the hurting, of God's hope for the hopeless, of God's peace for those who are restless, right? For us, the world isn't spinning out of control anymore because we know the way. I mean, it can get real messy. Y'all know that. That we are never more in this world, we are never more than a phone call away from everything that we think we know as normal being turned upside down. 
But the world isn't spinning out of control. We know the way. We know the truth and we share in the life of Christ. And this isn't just empty comfort. This is not just therapeutic encouragement. This is real. We can see a glimpse of the sunrise on the other side of the storm because we see the Savior who walked out of the grave. We see the Savior who conquered death and who is preparing a place for us with Him in glory even right now. And so yes, Christian, let not your hearts be troubled. You're in the hands of the king. You're in the hands of the king. And he never lets his people go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, forgive my forgetfulness. Forgive my fear. Forgive my doubt and my hesitation. Lord, I pray that you would move in your people whether it's somebody visiting here today or somebody who's been here every day for the last year, Lord, I pray that you would move in your people, that you would kick us in the pants, that you would light a fire, whatever we're comfortable saying, Lord, that you would help us to start stepping out. Help us to learn to rely on the helper because we're engaged in the mission. Help us to join you and the renewal of all things, whether that's the renewal of our school, the renewal of our book club, the renewal of our basketball team, the renewal of our community center, whatever it is. Lord, help us to redeem social media. Help us to redeem time spent with our families. Help us to redeem time spent with friends. Help us to redeem every relationship by bringing you into it and trusting you that you will carry us through it and that you will do greater works through your people. Lord, help us to get in the game, to quit sitting on the sidelines, quit cheering on the celebrities. Help us to engage. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.